Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 380 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Sunday, December the 4th, and I'm joined by my friend, Scott Coleman. Hello, sir. Brad, how are you, my friend? It should be a really good podcast. A lot of stuff happening. We finally have some movement around Major League Baseball, hopefully with the Braves soon. Who knows? By the time folks are listening to this in classic podcast form, maybe the Braves (laughs) will have already made a move, but let's hope not. Hopefully they... They hold off at least a day or two, uh, but should be a, a fun podcast and certainly a fun week ahead. Yeah, we already waited. I sometimes like to bring people behind the curtain a little bit. We already waited probably another, I don't know, hour or so because there was a, a series of reports today on Sunday that we'll talk about in a moment with regard to a certain available catcher on the trade market. And for a brief couple of hours, maybe it seemed like the Braves might make a trade today. So we waited a little bit longer than it was a. Uh, cold water poured but yeah in our in our typical fashion i think we are not undefeated by any means but there has been a long record of the Braves making moves particularly on monday mornings in the in the anthopolis era so i would even take that just don't do it tonight alex I'll, 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 that's all i ask of you as we record this podcast but we'll see what happens um so the big thing is winter meetings have begun as of today uh anthopolis spoke to the media in San Diego, that's where the winter meetings are in the next three or four days. Um, nothing has happened so far, but uh, I guess the biggest news that's actually happened in the last week is kind of Braves adjacent, and that is that Jacob deGrom is no longer in the National League East. He signed a five-year deal for $185 American dollars, million American dollars, I should say. Um, and basically, we kind of made fun of the deGrom Braves stuff. Not that it was impossible, but I always felt like it was very unlikely but a uh, combination of things here. Number one, he's leaving the Mets. That's good for the Braves. And also uh, we can finally put to bed any notion on any platform of the Braves being interested in Jacob DeGrom because he's not available anymore. Yeah, I, I guess we can thank Buster only for that very, very random rumor. Like During the, the season? Of, yeah, in the middle <laughs> yeah. of the season on like a Friday afternoon of, hey, executives think Jacob DeGrom is going to go to the Braves. Um, obviously it never came to fruition. I think we knew almost two months ago when the Braves signed Charlie Morton for $20 million. Um, I mean, I guess it wasn't impossible, but it it seemed even more far-fetched. Good for the Texas Rangers for going out. This was a team that spent a ton of money a year ago, despite not being very good. They now go out and add DeGrom. Of course, DeGrom is truly the the pinnacle of high-risk, high-reward I'm not sure there's been a more dominant starting pitcher in the major leagues, maybe since Pedro Martinez, in terms of just how good he is when everything is working. 
uh, five years, $185 million. That is a lot of money. And then, as you said, getting him out of the National League East, um, it was kind of hard not to admire DeGrom, but when he has the New York Metropolitan logo on his jersey and hat, it was always tough to be a full-on fan. Uh, so happy that he is long gone, no, not only out of the division, but out of the league in general. Uh, and of course, it was fun to watch the Mets freak out. Their fans and even their media members were naturally <laughs> freaking out, uh, which is always a good time. That is a good time. You know, Brace fans right, rightfully celebrated that one on some level. And we'll see what the Mets do. In fact, this kind of ties in with our next mini topic in that um, our pal, actually, I will say he's a friend of the site. Dan Zimborski has commented on even dating back to Talking Chop and Battery Power for a long time. Dan is very, very smart. He's creator of Zips and writer for Fangraphs. Um, he released his uh, what, what he called absurdly preliminary, and I agree with that sentiment from Dan, um, his Zips projections basically before free agency even starts. And the whole caveat here is that it only includes players that are under contract. So let's just say, for an example, the Braves do not have Dansby Swanson in this scenario. The Mets don't have any of their free agents, which was DeGrom and other guys on, on their team. So all that said, the Braves came in 12 games ahead of the Braves, uh, sorry, of the Phillies and the Mets, because in part, as we've all talked about forever, the Braves have basically almost all of their core signed. Um, Dansby is the only like super prominent for agent on the roster. Uh, that's part of it, but it is a reminder that the Braves are stacked still um, going into the season, even before they do anything else. And they're gonna have, they have some holes to fill as we discussed numerous times, but uh, did you have any reaction to the Braves being 12 games ahead of the field in the national league East? Because it also makes sense, but it, it's still nice to see kind of in theory. Yeah. It's a nice reminder of just how good the core of this roster is. And you think about this team that won 102 games last year, and not only did they win 102, but they had the really slow start out of the gate the first two months of the season. Um, you know, As you just noted, other than shortstop, maybe they can upgrade left field. Maybe they add a bullpen arm. Uh, maybe they add a veteran starter for the, the mix for the fifth spot in the rotation. But uh, the reason that – I mean, the Braves are good, man. Like, this is a really, really good team. I know folks have been – a little antsy. There hasn't been any movement, though, for 80% of the league. Nobody has really made a splash yet. We will see what they do at shortstop, but it is a nice reminder when you see that. I mean, 12 games, even for projection models, is a lot. We know how good this team is, and uh, it should be a fun couple next couple of months. Hopefully the Braves are active, and it seems like this is a team in front office that very clearly wants to go for it. They're not afraid to push it, push in some chips, and there's a lot of talent out there to be had. Yeah, and uh, that's all I want to say about that projection. It is what it is. It happened this week. And uh, it, it's also nice that the Mets, while they do have an unending pile of money, apparently, with Steve Cohen, they didn't get to spend it on Jacob deGrom. And they do have some real holes, actually. Um, they have a lot of money to fill those holes, but they do have a bunch of holes. And the Phillies, while they made the World Series, were not exactly a, a regular season juggernaut last year. Bryce Harper is hurt for a while. And uh, the Braves are the best team in the division on paper at this moment in time. Um, all right, now for the somewhat hypothetical division of this podcast a couple of guys the Braves have been tied to at this point and not nothing's happened but we'll start with Brian Reynolds who made a public trade request it seems he asked the Pirates for a deal this week that does not mean they have to trade him in fact the Pirates are already trying to angle as if they are willing to keep him um but Anytime a player goes to that length, it does signal some things. Um, and the Braves were already kind of tied to him. The Athletic 
um, wrote basically the Braves were a sourced team that could make a strong, quote, under the radar push for Reynolds. Uh, he is from Nashville. That's close by, uh, closest city to, uh, closest, closest uh, spot to a, uh, a franchise would be Atlanta. Um, he's a really good player. I'll let you talk about like what you think of the hypothetical fit, but uh, I will say he has not, in my mind, been like actually rumored to the Braves. That was kind of a hedged under the radar kind of thing for Reynolds. And I think that if not for the, for the trade request, I'm not sure we would have heard about this, but uh, I'll flip it to you. What do you make of Reynolds as a player slash option for the Braves if they were able to get into the sweepstakes? Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned Reynolds asking for a trade request. I would imagine that was maybe 36 hours ago. I would think that probably 25 of the 29 possible teams have probably called Pittsburgh already to get an idea of what it would cost. Uh, for those not familiar with Brian Reynolds, uh, center fielder for the Pirates, uh, 28 years old or will be 28 years old in, in another month, but really a good, good player. I mean, you talk about... Uh, in 2021, he had an upwards of six war season, uh, had a 126 career WRC plus, which is very good for those maybe not familiar. 100 is league average. So you're talking about an outfielder at 126. Uh, clearly, he would fit in Atlanta. He would shift over to left field. Uh, his defense has been a little up and down it, it, by the year. It just kind of fluctuates a little. Uh, but obviously he would play in left field in Atlanta and Truist uh, with Michael Harrison center. And then you think about those two with Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, Reynolds is going to cost a whole bunch, especially when the entire league is trying to trade for him. He's signed for another three years under team control. So this is not a situation where there's the Braves are going to be going up against two other clubs. And you're like, wow, they could really win this. Um, everybody's going to be interested. We will see if the Pirates trade him or not. Probably makes sense for Pittsburgh to sell. They're more than a couple of years away from being competitive. And if, if he's just not feeling it in Pittsburgh, I mean, I don't blame him. I wouldn't want to play my career in Pittsburgh <laughs> either. Um, but nonetheless, it's it's fun to think about. We will see uh, if the Braves are able to get involved, put a package together. But as as much as I would like it not to be the wet blanket, I would be surprised if the Braves won a bidding war for a player of his caliber, just given the state of the farm system right now. Yeah, that's usually my role in the podcast. If you're a new listener, it's usually me, it's usually me that's uh, doing the wet blanket thing. And I think you're right on that. I would happily be proven wrong. Brian Reynolds would make this team very, very good. Like they're not already, they're already really good. But uh, you know, like you said, six one season last year. He's he's an awesome player. And because he's on the Pirates, people don't really know who he is. That's one of the, he's one of those guys. Honestly, so is Sean Murphy, who we'll talk about in a second as well. They are two of the. Uh, anonymous all-stars in the majors right now not that baseball is not already a uh, a national sport that has some some challenges for some people to be getting into but um the a's and pirates are very off the radar franchises at this moment in time and both these guys are very anonymous players but they're both awesome brian reynolds would be probably the best conceivable left field option they could get i mean short of signing aaron judge uh who they're not going to sign i don't think um brian reynolds would be uh high on the list of available players but like you said the Braves, this is gone are the days where the Braves have this stocked farm system where they can just trade a bunch of guys. Like they don't have that anymore. There is a way for them to get Brian Reynolds. I think it would probably have to include at least one of Vaughn Grissom and William Contreras. I cannot see a scenario where they would be able to get Brian Reynolds in a bidding war without trading one of them. Am I crazy here, Scott? Maybe it's like everybody else in the system, but it, it's no. just a reminder. Like you, you can't really get a star level guy like Reynolds without trading like guys you don't want to trade probably if you're, if you're a Braves fan right now. Yeah, exactly. The, and with good reason, the farm system is not in great shape. 
I agree completely. It would be Grissom or Contreras to get not only Brian Reynolds, but any similar kind of player, right? A talented young player who signed for multiple years, but to no fault of the Braves. They are, of course, just now getting over the international free agent ban. Um, They've been good for five years, so it's not like they've been having top five draft picks every year. And it's like, right, if the team had been bad and the farm system was like this, it was like, man, what are we doing here? Right. Uh, No, and then, of course, just look at the big league roster. You have all kinds of young talent. Um, it, it would cost a lot. I know fans. It's funny you you'll see fans who why aren't the t- why isn't the team making a move? And then you throw out a trade proposal to get Brian Reynolds, a realistic one, and it's like, well, we can't give that up. And it's like, well, yeah, <laughs> what, what do you want, man? Like, you, you, teams aren't going to give up their star talent level players for you know for for pennies, right? For Kyle Muller and Bryce Elder. Like, I'm sorry to say, th- those are not players who are going to get teams overly excited. Um, but again, it's not impossible. If the Braves no. want to dip into uh, some of their young big league talent, you mentioned Vaughn Grissom or William Contreras. Um, that That's probably what it would take, and we'll see if the Braves are willing to dangle either player over the next couple of weeks and months. Yeah, and I, I'll just say this. Uh, for someone as good as Reynolds, I think that is uh, – I would certainly be willing to part with Vaughn Grissom. You don't want to. It's not like something you're excited about doing, but if that's what it takes, you, I think that's a reasonable thing to trade. Um, you don't want to give Vaughn Grissom away for someone who's not – who's just like kind of pretty good in left field, but Brian Reynolds was a star this year. Like a six-win player is a star-level player. So that's part of the calculus. People can kind of have their opinions on that on both sides, I'm sure, but uh, it kind of just depends on what you're looking for and how urgently they're trying to go in the short term. The uh, by the way, the aforementioned Sunday pseudo fireworks back and forth was about Sean Murphy, the A's catcher. Um, earlier this week, Ken Rosenthal of the Athletic wrote that the Braves checked in on Murphy. He is very good. He is also a catcher, which caused a lot of stir because the Braves famously do not need a catcher. They have a very very good catcher situation at this point, but uh, he's under control for a long time. He's a free agent in 2026. That's helpful. Then today on Sunday, Mark Feinstein, who's a good reporter from MLB.com reported that the A's were close to a deal for Murphy. And importantly, the Braves were the quote front runners for Sean Murphy. Um, He backed off that within a couple of hours and said the Braves were actually out on Murphy. Now I I've learned my lesson. I will never say that a team is out on a player unless I absolutely know it. And uh, I won't go that far. But the fact that they went back and forth and Anthopoulos spoke to the media today and did not rule out a catcher trade, but did say, and I quote from, this is from Justin Toscano of the AJC from Anthopoulos, I do not anticipate a trade, so just to shut that down, end quote. So he might lie. That's part of what front office people do. But uh, I'm going to guess at this point, Scott, Sean Murphy's not coming to Atlanta. Just my guess. Yeah, I think you're right. And the reason you just mentioned the fact that Sean Murphy, for those who don't know, is a very, very talented catcher. He plays out in Oakland where first pitch comes as people in the East coast are probably getting ready for bed most nights. But of course the, the surprise and I think reason it caught on so, so quickly and spread like wildfire is it's well, the Braves have Travis Darno, who is very good and signed. They have William Contreras coming off a breakout season. And then you also have Manny Pena and we're going to talk about the catcher position here in a little bit, but yeah, there was real surprise. And in all that, obviously Mark Feinsand was wrong with his initial report, uh, poured water on that fire quickly. But I think it just goes to show that the Braves and Alex Anthopoulos are looking under every single rock. And you just don't know when a deal is going to come up. And if it's a deal you want to make, there's obviously 
steps two, three, and four, once you make a trade or a signing, uh, you need to be buttoned up and just kind of have an idea of what you want to do. And uh, it would be unconventional. And I, I think we know now the Braves are not going to be getting Sean Murphy as good as he is. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, the front office is willing to be creative. And I think that's what you want from a front office, quite honestly. Yeah. And that's, we could get into it as much as we want to, but I think we don't have to do that now, but I, I don't think that it was silly to look at Sean Murphy. I think that a lot of the reaction were like, this is crazy. The Braves don't need a catcher. And I, and I get it. That's not a spot of need, but Anthopolis, like, I think he just knows sometimes guys are available that are really good. that can help you. And given the flexibility of Contreras in particular, they could bring on Sean Murphy and not alter their team in a negative direction because Contreras can play the outfield. He can play DH. He's that level of hitter. And then suddenly while the Braves might have the number one catching situation in the league already, I can tell you this, if they got Sean Murphy to pair with Travis Arnaud, that would be the number one catching duo in baseball, like pretty much not close. So that's one strength, strength of building. Um, but anyway, that's kind of all we got for that right now and kind of the rumor mill. I am keeping an eye on Twitter as this podcast is happening because it's that time of year where meetings are going. Nothing's happened so far other than Fred McGriff. Let's just mention that real quickly now. Fred McGriff is going to the Hall of Fame. He was uh, selected by the contemporary baseball era players committee that long long phrase um obviously a former brave we were talking before we started recording you were uh, probably too young to remember the much of the of the McGriff era but i will say this he hit more home runs with the braves than any other team and because he hit 493 home runs that's actually not a, not, a, not a small feat for a, a new hall of famer yeah good for him always nice to see players get the recognition they deserve and it's just and the 90s for the braves just continue to blow my mind I was a little young to fully appreciate just how great some of those teams were and just some of the sheer talent that were on those rosters. You're talking about multiple, multiple Hall of Famers. That just doesn't happen very much in baseball, especially with how selective uh, voters tend to be with who they allow into the Hall of Fame. So good for Crime Dog. Really cool. It'd be nice to see him at the ceremony in a couple of months. Our uh, our pal, Stephen Tolbert, um also a battery power tweeted that they should have announced it via via white smoke when they let McGriff into the uh, oh, Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. They throw back to the uh, 93 fire at old Fulton County Stadium. So uh, I remember more than you do, but I was I was young for it. But McGriff, I, I thought he's for a long time. He should have been in the Hall of Fame. We don't do a lot of Hall of Fame stuff on this podcast because it's not really our thing. We don't like love it and the whole process. But I think he's a worthy inclusion. Dale Murphy did not get in. I know Brace fans hate that. I'm actually OK with Dale Murphy not being in. Um, I get why people wanted to be in he's he was obviously a great brave but i don't really think he has the the resume for it um andrew jones is a different situation altogether because of his off field stuff and his on field stuff on field i think he's a hall of famer but off field we'll see anyway that's our hall of fame segment for the night scott i know you love the hall of fame you're passionate about the hall of fame and discourse on the hall of <laughs> that might be the last time we talk about the hall of fame for like a year so there you go yeah <laughs> it's not that i i don't like to you know like the ceremony I always watch it. it's just some of the like actual anger that comes out over voting always kind of blows my mind a little bit, but Hey, I mean, if, if that's your thing and you're all in on the hall of fame, great. Um, and then, I mean, again, just the, the steroid era is just so fascinating. I mean, that's probably to me more interesting than who gets in and who doesn't. Right. Like it was just a different couple of years for major league baseball. And I don't know, but you're right. That's probably the last hall of fame talk we will do for quite some time. End of Hall of Fame talk for us. All right. The rest of the podcast, barring crazy news, which which could happen any moment, will be our look back at the infield from last season. 
how they all performed, how the situation is moving forward. And uh, at the end of the show, we'll be talking about the Braves' most prominent free agent, once again, Nancy Swanson. Before we get to all of that stuff and more, a word from our sponsors on the show today. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, Scott, let's go to the catcher spot. We talked about the catchers a second ago in part because of Sean Murphy, but a reminder that after a, a pretty rough year in 2021 that was injury-fueled, Darno in particular was hurt most of the season, and the Braves had, had some comical options. Uh, you remember the Jonathan Lucroy era, era of Braves baseball last year? I, I try not to. Shout out Kevin Smith, World Woo! Series champion Kevin Smith. I That's hope cool. he wears his <laughs> ring every single day. I, mean, I would. Why wouldn't? Why wouldn't he? Uh, oh, he, was, yeah. he was on the team. Um, anyway, after all that, this year the Braves catchers were awesome again. They were third in all of baseball in Fangraphs WAR. They were first in WRC Plus as a team. You know, the vast majority of that was Darno, who was really good this year, and Contreras was also really good this year. Um, we'll start with Darno. Like I've thought for a long time, I know you have too, that he's been really underrated. Uh, he was just awesome this year. Like he was a four-win player, a 120 WRC plus. He was healthy. He is a good defender. He was pretty awful, of course, two years ago because of the injury. But uh, I'll say this: he's actually just behind Sean Murphy on the WAR leaderboard the last three years, uh, which is pretty impressive because he's number three. Number three? No, sorry, number number six. Murphy's number two. Then Will Smith, and then Darno's number six. So basically, Travis Darno, while not being talked about it this way, is. A, I won't say elite because that's that's probably that's probably the Real Muto Will Smith tier. Uh, he's just below that. He is a uh, very very good, and basically uh, every team in the league would love to have Travis Arno unless you have unless you have Real Real Muto on your team. Basically, he's that good. Really a good player, good hitter, calls a good game behind the plate. Uh, maybe not a whiz defensively. I mean, he, he's, he's not. He's fine. Yeah, he's okay. He can't he's really throw. Your, the throwing is not his strength, but let's just say. Right. That, he's not Yachty Molina just gunning out like half of the runners who go. But again, I mean, that that's um, that's not Travis Darno. It's really never been his game. I mean, he's been someone who has gotten to this point with his bat. Um, you know, again, and I think 
something that we don't see necessarily on the field, but it's clear that the Braves' pitching staff, in particular the starters, really, really love working with Travis Darno. Uh, Charlie Morton came out uh, a couple of months ago and said it would I think it would be hard for him to ever pitch to any other catcher, I think was his quote, which is, I mean, Charlie Morton's been around for 20 years. And for him to say that about Darno, I think Max Fried has also publicly talked about how much he appreciates the work that Travis puts in. Uh, so the work he does both in the clubhouse and pregame prep, in addition to being a really good hitter and perfectly fine defensive catcher, uh, you know, the Braves historically have had just terrific catching for the better part of like 25, 30 years now. And, and Darno certainly fits that mold. Yeah. And not only do the Braves have a, a really good number one catcher, that's what he is. And he's the number one catcher. Um, they basically had the best number two catcher in all of baseball this year. Part of that was that he was DHing as well, but uh, your guy, wild Bill Contreras um, was basically the best hitting catcher in baseball this year. That's it's crazy, but he led all, major league catchers in WRC plus and slugging percentage this year. Now he catched, uh, he caught, I should say less than other guys maybe did. He DH'd more, but he did catch better. I'll let you talk about that too, but like it is not small of a sample size either. Like he basically played the equivalent of a starting catcher role. He had almost 400 plate appearances, which is not that, which is not that few. Like he was 19th in baseball among players at catcher in plate appearances. So like he basically played the amount of a starting catcher and, performed at that level. Like I'm not entirely sure he's this good, but on this year alone, you could seriously argue he's the best hitting catcher in baseball, which is just like a ludicrous statement for a guy as young as he is. But uh it's uh he's really, really awesome. And if that's your number two guy, I think we were all we were all calling for him to play more at DH late in the season. But I, I hope they play him basically every day. Cause if he hits like this, it doesn't matter where he's playing. Yeah, you, you talked about how good of a hitter he was. Uh, compared to the rest of the league, he was like a legitimate top 30 hitter last year, Yeah, which is crazy. I mean, I think we've been bullish on Bill for a couple of years now. It doesn't hurt when your older brother is like a legitimate all-star caliber player as well. But you know, Contreras, man, he maybe didn't get the love and attention. I know he was an all-star, but... Rightfully, you have Michael Harris and Spencer Strider in the Rookie of the Year conversation. You had Austin Riley in the MVP conversation for a minute. You had Max Fried in the site, right? Like there were all of these players who were rightfully getting a lot of attention. And Contreras, man, he was awesome. And I think not only with the bat, but uh, it's it's a couple of years ago when he first came up, the defense was rough. Yeah. I mean it seemed like every inning there was a pass ball or a ball that was getting away from him. Uh, you know, being a young catcher, I'm guessing he was still very much learning how to handle major league pitchers every single night. And, and that's no fault of William. He's a young guy and I think he's only going to continue getting better. Uh, but defensively, he really made some nice strides calling games, working with the pitching staff and and not letting balls get past him at the plate um, I'm really interested to see, assuming he doesn't get traded. I, I don't think he will. It's hard for me to envision a scenario where trading Bill Contreras makes the Braves better next season. I could be wrong, but uh, I think there is absolutely, I mean, you, you mentioned he had 376 plate appearances. That kind of feels like a baseline for me for next season. I want this guy in the lineup pretty close to every night. Yeah. I mean, we were already arguing for that this last year and, Frankly, I didn't understand why he wasn't playing every day um, by the end of the season. Um, we talked about Ozuna at, at another point in time, but uh, maybe that was why. 
But regardless, I, I, again, I don't, I'm not entirely sure he's going to post a 138 WRC plus this coming season. That seems pretty high for anyone. That's not a full blown established star. But even if you were to say he is 10% worse than this, he's still an excellent, excellent player and worthy of playing other places. They've tried him in left field. I'm not sure how, how that's going to go. Um, but he's too good to just be a twice a week backup catcher. I think we kind of know that at this point in time. I'm glad you said the thing about the defense because I think he's an example of a guy whose reputation has not caught up yet nationally. Like I saw, I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was Rosenthal. One of the, one of the national guys kind of mentioned he has had struggles calling games or whatever. Like that was the case before. I don't think he's just, I don't think he stands out as being poor defensively anymore. He's not no, great, no. but he's not, I don't, I don't think he's what he, people think he is, if that makes sense. I you know. And we're not going to come on here and blow smoke. We, I genuinely believe he's like fine at catcher now, which is not what I thought two years ago, but that's kind of where I am now. Yeah. I mean, we, we do podcasts every week. Uh, I, I can't recall myself ever doing a podcast with you, Brad, and being like, man, Contreras' defense, we got to talk about this. That was really bad. I, I don't remember doing that. Just thinking back, I mean, it was a long season. I'm sure there are areas for him to improve, but I agree. I mean, it, sure, it's hard to shake the first impression that you make sometimes, but I have full confidence when he's behind the plate. Yeah, so that's part of this too. And I still think that if I had to guess, you're going to see Darno if he's healthy, still be the number one if you had to pick one um, of the two in terms of like who plays a little bit more at catcher. But Part of that is also that Contreras can maybe play somewhere else and maybe DH some. And uh, this is, uh, if anyone refers to the Braves having a a problem with having two good catchers, they're out of their minds. We've talked about this forever. But uh, as a reminder of our podcast wide stance, uh, having catcher quality is very underrated because catchers are terrible around the league. Teams would kill to have either one of these guys, and the Braves have, have both of them. So uh, a great problem to have if you want to call it that, let's just say. Um, Last thing on catcher, by the way, uh, Manny Pena is still on this team. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but they paid him real money for two years, and it was a reasonable signing. This is in the era. This is in the era where they weren't sure what Contreras is going to be, um, and you know, four and a half million for Pena this year is totally fine money. The question is, is he going to play? And because of Contreras, if they, let's say as an example, Scott, I'll throw it to you. What do you think about a world in which Contreras essentially, if everybody is healthy, is a full-time-ish DH and they play Manny Pena twice a week at catcher? Do you love that? Do you hate it? Do you re- Are you repulsed by it? Because if Manny Pena is on the team, you're paying him $4.5 million. Like, I think you're going to want to play him like in somewhat of a role. I don't think you want to have Manny Pena just be like, Guillermo Heredia and just never play, but I'm crazy. Maybe I'm crazy. I wonder what you think of that hypothetical because I'm sure it's something that they're at least going to think about because of Contreras' bat. Yeah, it's a big question. And Alex Anthopoulos came out today on the first day of the winter meetings and said that they fully intend to go into the season with all three catchers. Um, I would be curious to know how that's going to shake out because as far as William Contreras goes, I would like for his development to continue behind the plate. Obviously, Darno is going to get the lion's share of starts, as he should. Um, but it's also a situation where Travis Darno, at age 33, is not going to start 140 games behind the plate next season. Um, Pena is not necessarily a great hitter. I mean, he's okay. He has a little bit of pop. Uh, he, he's not someone, especially with the DH, it's not like you're going to really utilize him as a, off the bench. 
but it's also hard to envision him just never catching. So it's a good question. I'm not entirely sure. I would like to see Contreras continue to get at least one or two starts behind the plate each week, but then I don't know what that means for Manny Pena. Uh, but at the same time, trading away catcher depth is always a little bit of a scary proposition. You just mentioned the injury crushed 2021, where it was Kevin Smith and Jonathan Lucroy. Not that you can necessarily predict injuries, but it feels like you're you're kind of playing with fire a little bit if you start getting rid of your catcher depth. Uh, but Pena is signed for four and a half million. That's not insignificant money. I would imagine teams around the league would be open to taking him. So I think. Quite clearly, shortstop is the number one storyline of the winter for Atlanta, but there is some decision making to be had at catcher. Yeah, I can see all sides. I mean, it's not the most, it's not the best radio slash podcast take, but like you don't want to trade away from a strength. I do think Manny Pena in that role as a backup catcher is totally fine. Like he's an above average backup catcher on itself. And like the other side is, do you want to have Contreras maybe atrophy as a defender? We just talked about how how much he's improved. If you think he's going to be your catcher long term, you know Darno's not not young, like not super young. Like he's going to be slowing down or be gone in the next couple of years. You would think. Do you want to have Contreras ready to be the guy at catcher as a primary look in a couple of years, or are you worried about like you know what it is going to be now? So it, there's a lot of moving parts there. I do think that you know going and getting Sean Murphy would have been like kind of over the top, but I also understand it too. He's awesome. So. If it's me, it really depends on what else you have at outfield and DH. And maybe that's part of the calculus, too, is Anthopoulos is going to go in and say, look, we don't have to sign another guy who can be a DH for us because we have William Contreras. It's a nice bit of flexibility. But I'll tell you this, Scott, right now, I'll call it here in December. If they are rolling out Marcelo Zuna every day at DH and Bill Contreras is not is not playing every day, I'm going to be very upset. <laughs> I will join you in being upset. Uh yeah, but let, let's hope not for the sake of everybody involved. Let's hope that doesn't play out. I mean, it happened at the end of the year. We all saw it. We, yeah. we There was a few yeah. weeks there where Contreras was playing like twice a week. And I'm like, what is going on? Anyway, that's a rabbit hole that we'll avoid for now. But long story short, catcher, they are uh, in great shape no matter what. They have three guys who are quality options, two of which are legitimately high-end starters. And the third guy is a uh, really good backup. So nice spot to be in. Um, moving on to first base, a pretty simple evaluation here. Matt Olson played almost every inning of the season at first in the Freddie Freeman role of never come out of the lineup. He wasn't like incredible, but he was even with, I would, with what I would describe as a down year, he was very good. He had a 120 WRC plus he was worth three plus wins. Um, his bat ball, his bat ball profile actually looked better than his numbers did. He was in the 95th or higher percentile and like almost all of the key traits, hard hit rate, exit velocity, all that stuff. So I think if anything, I'm even less worried after looking at all that. Um, also, he's a guy that you can't shift anymore as much, which is probably going to help Matt Olson going into the next year, next season. He's pretty streaky, but uh, I think that maybe they got a little bit worse production from Matt Olson this year than I would have projected. But I am also not at all concerned about Matt Olson whatsoever. Uh, and I say that as a, yeah. as a as of course a Parkview High School graduate, Scott. But <laughs> moving on, I'll, I'll throw I'll throw it to you because I am. Uh, Probably the most biased of anyone on the team towards Matt Olson for that reason I just mentioned a second ago. So am I crazy or is Matt Olson just pretty good at baseball? Yeah, it's such an interesting look back on Matt Olson. You mentioned his numbers, right? If eight months ago when we were doing the preview podcasts, I was going to say Matt Olson was going to hit 34 home runs. He was going to have 103 runs batted in. 
upwards of three war, you know, defensively, it's interesting. The metrics, defensive runs saved, outs above average, they all really liked Matt Olson's season. Uh, my eyeball test and eyeball tests are a funny thing. I, I wasn't blown away by his defense. Maybe my expectations were too high after folks out in Oakland really praised Matt's defense, but he was fine over there, had a couple of of kind of gaffes and miscues. But again, nobody expects him to be uh, you know, perfect. Um, and, and you mentioned the no shift thing. You took the words out of my mouth. I'm very curious to see how that plays out next season. What kind of a difference does it make? Of course, fielders can still move around. It's just restricted to the two and two on the uh, on the two sides of second base. So uh, a perfectly fine season for Matt Olson. Hopefully he's a little bit better moving forward. He is somebody who is, of course, signed for seven more years. So you hope that he's able to uh, you know, at least have an, another few years where he is in very much the prime of his career. Yeah, he was perfectly fine. I mean, he wasn't like a superstar, and maybe our expectations were a little too high, but um, he also handled the off-field stuff with Freddie Freeman with grace, never said anything wrong. I mean, to Matt Olson's defense or credit, he could have come out and been like, guys, like I'm here. Let's stop talking about Freddie Freeman. He never did that, and I think that's also something he deserves uh, some kudos for. him. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a pro and came in and did – what he needed to do. And, you know, after all that said, like he's making, you know, the, the deal is for an average annual value of $21 million, right? Eight years, uh, 168. Uh, even with what I think we all described as less production than we would have thought, he was, according to Fangraphs, worth $25 million this year, which is more than he was paid. So like, I get that. I think that he'll be better than this in a couple of these years moving forward. But even if he's just this, the deal is totally fine and he'll be good. Um, and again, I don't, I don't want to overstress it, but he really did mash any batted ball profile. So if you just said, here's his stat cast page, and I showed it to you, uh, you would think that those numbers would translate to even better production than he actually had. So I have uh, basically no concern. He's also, he's also very durable in the way that Freddie is. So that's very helpful too. Anyway. Yeah, and just you, one quick ahead. note wrapping up um, on the Matt Olson segment. Uh, Shay Langleyers out in Oakland had a nice season. He got called up in August. Um, you know, he, he struck out a lot, but showed some power. Was really good behind the plate, which is what is going to carry Shay's big league career. Uh, Christian Pache did not have a good year. Uh, he did hit a little bit in the minor leagues, but his major league season was horrendous. I mean, he he wouldn't have been in the majors if he was on basically any other roster. But Oakland was quite bad, and then the two pitchers. Uh, we'll see. Um, but nonetheless, wanted to at least mention nice nice work by Shay Langoliers, someone who we were all really high on, I think, coming into the season before the trade. Uh, he had a nice first year and looks like a, a legit major league catcher for at least a few years. Yeah, and that's that's okay. I mean, you got to give up real stuff to get a guy like Matt Olson. And, uh, you know, I, I still want Pache to do well. I think everybody likes Pache. So. Yeah, me too. He, just, he seems just, like a good kid. He, he just can't hit, man, so far. Yeah. But we'll, we'll yeah. see how that all goes. All right. Uh, second base is kind of a weird situation. Obviously, Ozzy Albies is the franchise second baseman. He is signed long-term. He played very little this year. did not play very well either. By his standards, he was you know, even a slightly below average hitter this year. Um, broke his finger, fractured his foot. Kind of just a lost season. Uh, I wonder how you feel about Ozzy moving forward because, you know, he's still at the age where I think he might age weirdly because of how small he is, but he is 25. I, I can't imagine he's like on the downside already. So, 
there's that. And also the the glove really helps him. I think the, uh, you know, just the whole package of, he's never been a guy who you thought was going to just be this elite hitter. It's kind of everything. He can run, he can, he can defend, and he can hit a little bit at second base. And I think even with a, again, another guy who had a down season, but it was still, even with probably the worst possible year he's ever going to have, you would think, um, was still like bringing some decent value. He was still worth a win um, in 64 games. So he was basically on like a two and a half war pace for the season while having a nightmare at the plate. Yeah. You took the words out of my mouth. Dang uh, it, Scott. I'm sorry. For I know. Doing that to you. I, it's one of these episodes, Brett, we just need to get into like a big on like full on argument or something. We've done, like we've, done, we've done it before. A couple of things that we don't agree on, like, uh, the tro- like the Charlie Morton signing when you were yelling at me, it was great. No, I'm kidding. Yelling we, at we, you. We, we, weren't, we, weren't, we weren't actually yelling at each other. Now we're going to, it was a rare, it was a rare, it was a rare disagreement when we actually did not see things perfectly eye to eye on that one. But. There we go. Yeah, I, Ozzy Albies, we know who he is at this point. I would love for him to show a little more plate discipline. I think that's really the one area of his game that's lacking. But you mentioned the defense is really, really good. Just an awesome teammate. You can just feel his energy whenever he's on the field. And you know, again, if if his bad season is a 93 WRC plus, and also for a guy who is, I think Dansby Swanson gets a lot of Fairly gets a reputation of running hot and cold. If you look at Ozzy Albee's like career running numbers, he is similarly, if not more so, hot yeah. and cold at the plate, which gets overlooked for whatever reason. Um, so if if his worst season is a average hitter at second base while playing good defense and being a good teammate and all that, you take it. And obviously, we have seen Ozzy at the ripe old age of twenty five. I think he's going to have a really nice bounce back next year. Yeah, and hopefully a long time to get healthy. And that's the big thing with Ozzy. And, you know, the contract is what it is, but it is just worth pointing out how team friendly it continues to be. He has probably the most team friendly deal in all of baseball in some ways. Um, not that he's like number one on the trade value column because he's not the best player of the of this group, but he is making peanuts, which is crazy. But there we are again. Um, and, you know, behind him, they had Von Grissom. They had Orlando Arcia. Um, two different kind of profiles there. Grissom, obviously more of a prospect, hit the cover off the ball early on and then rapidly cooled off from there. Basically was awesome for, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks and then pretty bad for a few more weeks after that. Really played after that. And then Arcia is like pretty much the prototypical backup infielder. He can hit a little bit. I think, it, you know, notably he's not had great numbers in his career, but he's a solid enough defender at both spots. Um, he's signed for cheap and uh, there's value in that as well. Yeah, I think I'm most curious to see, assuming he is on the team, what kind of role the Braves envision for Von Grissom. And, you know, he he came up as a shortstop. There are questions about his long-term position, whether it be in the middle of the infield or in left field. Um, and, and as a reminder, as good as Vaughn was those couple of weeks when he came up in August, gave the team a huge boost. Uh, you know, he he's 21 years old. He had only had about a hundred. Uh, I think he had like 200 plate appearances in double a. So it's very possible the Braves want to keep him in the minor leagues. Maybe they make a, a roster move this off season where they allow Vaughn to spend some more time in the minors. It's really tough to come up in the middle of a year. He hit like gangbusters. And then of course the league quickly adjusted to the point where Grissom was like barely never playing. I, I honestly think it was more defense focused than anything. Uh, with Arcia playing over him in the playoffs and all of that. But 
clearly a talented kid. He flashed. I think that's something you always want to see from young players when they first come up, you know, right. You need to see those moments of, wow, this kid really looks the part. He can do this. There's things for him to work on. Uh, but regardless of what kind of role he has moving forward, uh, I think the Braves are in good shape there. Agree. You know, I'm skeptical of the defense based on more of people that I trust than myself. Like I will not, I will not claim to have watched a ton of Von Grissom playing defense at the minor league level, but our prospect guys and people that I just think are very smart about this stuff do not believe in the glove at shortstop in particular at second base. He was pretty bad. The negative numbers are what they are in the metrics, even in a small sample size. So that's the real question. There was the, uh, the story we discussed that DOB wrote about Ron Washington working with him at shortstop kind of like maybe laying the groundwork for him to be playing shortstop this year. If they lose Dansby, um, that's not a great option, but you know, at the same time, Juan Grissom is at this moment, 21 years old, still he'll be 22 in January. And I, I do believe in the bat. I, I don't know if he's as good as he was early. I don't think he's as bad as he was late. And I think if you look at the numbers in the minors, he's raked at every level, which is a lot of guys, what guys do at their top, top five prospects, but he really, really, really raked everywhere. And I think if they have to play him in left field, that would be fine. He's a good athlete. I don't know if that's going to be great defensively, but uh, as people probably know, left field is like kind of a spot where guys go to just kind of get hidden if they can hit. And that might happen to Von Grissom. He is 6'3". It's not like this is a guy who's like a 5'10 shortstop or something like that. He's got real athleticism and real size and can play the outfield, I think, um, has the arm for it. And if he hits enough, they got to play him. Um, we'll see. But I, I'm with you actually about the late the late on the season stuff last year when they went to Arcia, I think that was a safety thing. I think Snit trusted that Orlando would make the plays defensively, uh, if nothing else, at second base. And when Vaughn stopped hitting, that was a reasonable decision, even as someone who's not highest on, on, on Arcia. He was a lot safer, whereas Grissom very obviously presents higher upside. So if they, if, we're, if they were to lose Dansby and go into the season with no outside replacement, I... I I think they kind of have to go to Von Grissom opening day and just like pray that it works because if they roll out Arcia, ooh, that's going to be um, not 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 something I'm excited about because at least at least with, at least with Vaughn you could argue for upside. Arcia doesn't really have. Oh yeah, upside. yeah. <laughs> and see what he has. And you know, as you as you've noted, Orlando Arcia, once upon a time, big time prospect, never quite worked out in the majors. Although he had a nice year last year, and quite yeah. clearly he is not a preferable starting option at shortstop. I think you would prefer that he be the backup middle infielder and get like five plate appearances per week. But um, the Braves do have some flexibility. My takeaway from what we've heard from Anthopolis and some of the reporting is the Braves have money. They're not afraid they can go above the luxury tax, which is this whole point of contention. The Braves have the ability to spend. They just don't want to spend stupidly. And that is a very fine line. And, you know, of course, you're you're trying to balance both the immediate and the long term, right? Yes, a Dansby Swanson signing today would help the Braves immensely the next few years. But what does that contract look like in 2027? And those are the questions that Alex Anthopoulos has to think about. It's why he's paid millions of dollars to do what he does. But, um, you know, it's a... Clearly for, I think, everyone, the question of the offseason for Atlanta is the shortstop position. And that sets us up for a little bit of shortstop talk. Um, we'll save Austin Riley for the end because he's a pretty obvious open and shut case kind of thing. But um, Dansby is the the looming thing. And that's it's part of, partly a discussion of Von Grissom and Garcia. But Dansby 
has already been in some rumors in the last couple of weeks, as you might expect. He's one of the five best free agents available, maybe top six or seven, if you want to be a little bit more pessimistic on him. But uh, my pal, John Heyman, noted a rumor this week that Dansby's camp was going to the Braves with a $140 million offer that the Braves said no to. Um, that jives with Mark Bowman, who's been saying that the Braves probably won't have the most money on the table for Dansby this year, which I kind of buy. Um, maybe he'll be hoping on the hometown discount for a guy who's kind of from the area, et cetera. And there's also been some reporting that Philadelphia and Chicago, the Cubs, not the White Sox, have interest in Dansby. Um, there was a report, I can't remember who it was who it was from, that said like Dansby loves Chicago or something. It's like one of those like very generic um, free agency time of year uh, kind of posts. Uh, but I laughed at that. No matter what, Dansby's saga is interesting because we can not count what he was as a player this year, but he is going to have some suitors. That seems pretty obvious at this point. And he is one of those four shortstops that are all grouped together where um, even if you don't love Dansby Swanson, I know some Braves fans are kind of um, not as high as others. He's going to have a hundred million dollar offers from multiple teams. Yeah, he's going to get paid and he should get paid. Dansby is a really good big league shortstop in the very prime of his career. Uh, he has the pedigree coming off a really nice season, even if you don't necessarily buy him as a six and a half war player. I don't think I do. I'm guessing most front offices around the majors don't either. Nope. Clearly the Braves don't or else they would have locked him up. I think uh, based on where Dansby and his camp feel his value is at, but you know, we we've talked about Dansby for months, years at this point. He's just, he's not a player that I would want to overpay for. The issue is, is that in free agency, you generally have to overpay a little bit in order to win a bidding war. Uh, so we'll see. I truly don't know. I, I feel like every couple of days I think about the Braves' shortstop position, and I really don't know where they're going to land. Um, there's there's a couple of other really good free agents out there with Trey Turner, Carlos Correa, Sander Bogarts. Um, I don't know, man. Uh, where are you at, Brad? Like, th- th- we're going... If you had to put a million dollars down today, who who's at shortstop on opening day for the Braves? Oof. Uh, yeah, right. I mean that that's literally my first reaction when yeah. somebody would ask me that. I mean, it's I, I think I think it's Dansby Swanson, but I also think, and this is all read between the lines, and I'm not reporting anything, but it it seems like he might be willing to take a little bit less this day. And I'm not saying he should. I, I I'm not a guy who says people should take less money. I think it's cool if people want to do that. Um, and at this level of financial security, you could argue that like, what's another $10 million or whatever. But I, I don't, I'm not a person who thinks the guy should, and I want to capitalize should there take less to stay. Like, that's not what I think, but if he wants to, that's fine. And I think the Braves will give him a real offer. I think the Braves would pay Dansby Swanson quite well to stay, but I don't know where that all stands. Like if the Cubs come out of the woodwork and, pay him $150 million. Like I think he might just be a cup and same thing with the Phillies. And if it goes to the Phillies, people are going to be very, very upset, which I understand, but I don't know. I think he's probably the most likely answer still um, followed by Mon Grissom. And then maybe somebody outside of the organization. I don't know, but it's kind of hard to do the outside organization thing without any reporting around it at this point. And the thing is like what you said about his production this year, because again, he had a six and a half win season. No one thinks he's that guy every year. He's capable of it. We saw he had, he had a good year um, at the plate. He played great defense. He stole bases. Like he does all of those things. Um, I think he's much closer to what he was the previous year, which by the way, in 2021, he was still like a 20, 
$2 million player. Like he was a really good player two years ago. He was not a star. This year he was a star, like an actual star in the way he was produ- was producing, especially if you buy into the uh, into the defensive metrics. So I don't know. I don't know. What, what, it's not my money, which is important to say, but you know, I think he's the worst of those four guys that are the free agent shortstops. He's in that level with Bogarts. I think Turner and Correa are a step above um, Dansby. But if the Braves want to give him $100 million to stay, I have no issue with that So with that whatsoever. If Anthopolis also, want, also wants to draw a line in the sand and say, you know what, we're not going to pay you six for 140 to stay, I don't blame him for that either because I don't think that it's likely that he returns value on that contract. And if that's, if you have, a, if even if you, we don't know what the, what the number is, Anthopolis has some idea from ownership what he is going to be, quote unquote, allowed to spend. And he has to work under that. That's frustrating. I know to every fan, in a non-salary cap sport, but he has to make some kind of financial calculations, even if I am of the mind on the outside that it's not my money. And Falpos knows how much money they have. So that's part of this thing too. Yeah. Yeah. And as I said, 20 minutes ago, you have to think <laughs> about both today and tomorrow, right? What, what does the team look like in 2026? And that's impossible to necessarily project, but it is part of the conversation. And um, it is... A true, I think the shortstop decision is more interesting than the first base decision a year ago because we knew the Braves were going to. We we were pretty confident the Braves were going to either sign Freddie Freeman or trade by Matt, trade for Matt Olson, especially when we came out of the lockout. Right, we knew there was going to be this frenzy. There was the report that Atlanta had talked to Oakland before the the lockout. You know, we we felt pretty confidently maybe they shifted to Anthony Rizzo if they had to. I really don't know. And it, based on your answer, I, I don't think you're super confident either in yours. Um, I, I don't think they will go out and give Trey Turner like an eight or nine year deal. Um, there are questions about Xander Bogarts defensively for you know the seven year deal he's going to get. I don't think Bogarts is a fit. Uh, I'm personally very intrigued by Carlos Correa. There was a little bit of smoke last year that Atlanta might have been interested I think he's more likely than maybe anyone who just kind of dismisses him immediately. Um, and then Dansby, we've talked about, I don't know, man, if it's a fair deal, <laughs> I'd, I'd be cool with it. He's not somebody I would overpay for. Um, well, you know, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see is the unsexy, but yet correct answer to all Dansby Spence and talk. And yeah, I, I mean, we could wake up tomorrow and Dansby either sign somewhere else or the Braves make their preemptive strike like they did with with Matt Olson. Like, Anthopoulos is not afraid of just going ahead and moving on as well. He might draw the line in the sand and just be like, you know what? We have a guy on the table that we can get in a trade or whatever, and we're going to do that. And uh, that shouldn't surprise anybody either because that's something that he would do. It'd be very on brand for Anthopoulos. Um, I wish you had more on Dansby. We can finish things off without Austin Riley. who's a very yeah. easy evaluation. Austin Riley was very good this season. He signed the huge deal. Uh, it is still funny to me that he signed the deal on August 1st and immediately got a lot worse. <laughs> That's just one of those things that doesn't really matter necessarily. It's just kind of a funny thing because he just had the best month like basically in the history of baseball. He was incredible in July. And then uh, he was not great after that. He was still fine, but he was not great after that. And then, uh, I don't know about you, we could probably opt out of the defensive conversation about, about Austin Riley tonight. We kind of uh, always do it, and uh, we don't think he's – well, I don't think he's very good defensively, but um, Braves broadcast would tell you that he's Brooks Robinson. So, who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, Thoughts? Yeah. No, I I think it was just weird timing 
uh, with the contract. I mean, it's, it, nothing yes. changed for Austin Riley. I mean, it was kind of funny timing. Uh, he was a he had a 269 WRC plus in the month of July and like a 1500 OPS or something insane like that. Um, he gets the big contract. Another 10 years, right? 10 years, $212 million for Austin. Um, we talked about the batted ball profile is very, very good. Um, the the improvements that Austin has made over the last two or three seasons is, is of course, really encouraging. And uh, yes, you need more out of him than a 105 WRC plus the way he was down the stretch. But still, I mean, I don't think there's a single person worried about Austin Riley. It's just a really good player and, uh, should continue to to be just as good, if not get better, based on. I mean, wh- how old's Austin Riley? 25, 26? Yeah, I mean, he turns he turns twenty six in April, so he's twenty five right now. He'll be twenty six when the season starts, basically. Yeah, young man, gonna get better. Great hitter, good guy. Um, yep. Yeah, all, the, there all those things. The Austin, yeah, the Austin Riley in sixty seconds. Yeah, he's been a star the last two seasons, um, and even if I think there are credible items to push back on about the length of the deal and like how he might age particularly defensively with his body type, but like he's going to be really good for a while. Um, the bat is what it is. Like he's been a top tier hitter for two seasons now. Um, and even with what I think is below average defense, he could still play there enough to be a, you know, five win player like he's been each of the last two years. So Austin Riley is awesome. And uh, we'll leave it there for now. There's nothing that's going to change anytime soon at third base for the Braves. All right. Well, that's the, that's the infield for you, Scott. Um, we obviously will have like full winter meetings coverage. In fact, um, both of our other podcasts on this platform, the podcast to be named later had a Steven Tolbert solo episode this week, which was a, a new one for me anyway. Uh, shouts to Steven. He talked about the winter meetings on that show. And then Sean Coleman on the daily hammer talked about the same winter meetings, uh, previewing those lots of stuff to like, like dive into we're all in a holding pattern. The DeGrom thing happened. There are still big names available, like even just beyond the Braves. I know you and I both follow the sport overall, not just the Braves. And, you know, the Aaron Judge thing is going to be very interesting to kind of fall, follow through on. Um, I don't know if you have anything to look for the next few days, because it doesn't have to be done the next three days to the winter meetings. But generally, like things tend to happen when executives are all in the same place. Yeah, I mean, it's always a fun week. Um, hopefully it's a busy week. I know I was lamenting um, the slow maybe glacial pace of the MLB off season. Uh, It's just so different from the other sports where you have this crazy activity, right? When the, the off season opens up in the NFL and the NBA, the NHL, and then baseball just kind of trickles along over four months. Um, But usually the winter meetings, even if it doesn't necessarily happen in the next 72 hours, usually there's quite a bit of stuff that happens the following weekend, just as teams hammer out final details. But uh, it will be very interesting. A couple of very, very good starting pitchers with Justin Verlander, Carlos Rodon. Uh, will be interesting to see where they land. I, I have a feeling the Aaron Judge thing probably goes on for a little bit, but I'm not basing that on anything. It just kind of feels like a hunch. Um, and then, of course, the Braves have certainly some areas that they can work on, maybe a trade. We've talked about the desire to upgrade left field is something I'm all about. Might be difficult. Maybe they can unload a contract or two this week as well. But should be fun. Winter meetings are always a blast, and um, it's uh, you no. Know, let, let's hope before the holiday break for a couple of weeks that all the front offices do. Let's hope for some action the next two weeks. 
Yeah, because it will get quiet again most likely around Christmas. So uh, this is kind of the the sprint time of the offseason. And it doesn't mean the Braves will move quickly because as we talked about a number of times the last few years, they seem to be doing things in clumps. Like there was that there was that year where they made like two moves in November and then did nothing till March, basically. <laughs> and Thopolis does not really care what you think. I promise you that. You, me, anybody else listening to this podcast, Anthopolis is going to do what he's going to do. And uh, he is one of the best executives in sports. So, uh, and I, I don't say that lightly, by the way. I, I don't, I'm not making that up or just saying it flippantly. I actually mean it. Alex Anthopoulos has proven to be, um, you could maybe argue he's not the absolute best GM in baseball, but he might be. <laughs> so uh, I have yeah, to, I'd be I pretty confident. Think of, confident. Um, yeah. I mean, I can't think of many others, if any others I would take. And yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty good spot there to be uh have that guy in charge of your baseball team, especially yeah, if right. the uh, if the rumors are in, are indeed true that he uh has some clearance to go into luxury tax. Like in fact, he actually said today that um granted this is what anyone would say, but he said if the right deal came along, um they would go into the tax um and have no problem doing so. So that would be nice to see. Um that's one of those things that you can kind of just say it, but he doesn't have to say that and he did. So all right, Scott. That's it for us. Hopefully this podcast will be posted before a transaction happens on this Sunday evening. Um, and if not, um, you know, whatever. Stay tuned, everybody. I promise I will have more, more podcast content coming in the future. We should also plug the written side, batterypower.com. Chris Willis, our fearless leader. Uh, I believe Ivan has a new title. He's like the deputy editor now, which is uh, nice to see for our longtime rock behind the scenes of Ivan. Uh, Scott writes occasionally. I write occasionally. Anything else to plug, Scott? What's going on in your life? The Colts are playing right now? You're, you're uh, Indianapolis Colts? My Indianapolis Colts. Not a good season, Brad. Um, That's correct. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Are you are you coming out to, to Arizona for the Michigan uh, college football playoff game? Might be an offline conversation there. I, I don't know. We'll we'll see. Uh, for those of you that may not somehow know this, I'm a Michigan fan. Um, grew up that. It's my dad's fault, so blame him. Um, but yeah, Michigan is going to be playing a, a rather big football game in uh, Scott's backyard in Arizona on right. New, on New Year's Eve. So maybe I'll make it make my way out there. Hopefully they will credential me to be a member of the media to, so that I don't have to buy a thousand dollar ticket to the game. That'd be nice. Um, but yeah, we'll see if uh, I wish, I know, I know Georgia fans don't wish this, but I wish that, that Michigan was playing in Atlanta, but obviously Georgia mm. was the rightful number one seed and they, got, and they get to choose where they were. And obviously they were going to choose Atlanta. So off to Glendale, we go. Um, but yeah, please follow Scott on Twitter. If Twitter still oh. exists by the time this <laughs> Yeah. No, thanks, Brad. Always uh, always fun to do these with you. Hopefully we're getting together for an emergency pod here soon. Those are always fun. Uh, and yeah, everyone, please do check out the site. I know it's the off season, but it never stops over at batterypower.com. Lots of really good written content, um, some player reviews, of course, any and all breaking news, rumors, you name it. Uh, there'll be plenty of coverage. So we, we appreciate everybody's support. Absolutely. Subscribe to the show, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, Odyssey, TuneIn Radio, I don't know, Podbean. There are all kinds of podcast players. But if you are overcast as one people like, um, subscribe to the show across multiple platforms. Also, it really helps us if you want to help us game the system. Download the show multiple places. That's also very helpful. Click on the show. Uh, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, reviews. I'm not above a little bit of cheating on the back end here. Scott, we really do appreciate everybody's support on the show, but uh, really do thank you for listening to the podcast. We'll have more this week. I don't know when the next time Scott and I will record, but if there is a big move, we will spring into action. And if not, we'll have Daily Hammer with Sean. We'll have podcast name later with Chris and Steven and much more coming on the podcast. We'll see you guys next time.